0: And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free premier website for Ohio State sports. This is your intrepid host, Matt Brown, the co- one of the college league managers and the managing editor for LandGrantHolyLand.com. You can find me on Twitter at MattSBN, and you can find our glorious website at LandGrant33, but you probably knew that already. Uh, We're also also both on Facebook, coming at you here on a Wednesday afternoon, a little bit later than we normally record. Things have been a little bit crazy here in SB Nation corporate land, with a bunch of of meetings which have diverted my attention here, but I, I think you probably already have decided what you think about the Tulsa game, and maybe we don't need to spend quite as much time digging into that. But sources inform me that Ohio State is playing a football game this weekend of some import. Colton, is that true? Absolutely, Matt. I am super fired up. At about maybe 3 o'clock
1: yesterday, I started to kind of get into game mode for lack of a better term for not only Ohio State, Oklahoma, but basically for the whole college football slate coming up this week for how great week one was to get into week three and have all of these big time matchups. I, I don't mean to get on my local sports analyst shit, but I am very, very pumped for what we have coming this week with Ohio State and the rest of college football. It should be a great weekend.
0: its it is It is going to be a fun weekend. there's this is not the only game I think that that's really big. You know, last week they said, and and maybe I fell into this group too, about, hey, week two is gonna suck. There's no rank, no ranked teams are playing each other. and and you know, th- you have to go to Home Depot. This is the time to do it. And it college football provided. There, there was some chaos. There were some upsets. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Now, we're going to have some of that stuff. There's going to be some su- games that are going to be surprise lit, but you've got Florida State and Louisville, two top 10 teams going at it. You've got North Dakota State and Iowa with, you know, North Dakota State's going to beat another FBS team, and it's probably going to be a legitimately good one this year. You've got Alabama Ole Miss. You've got Oregon and Nebraska. You've got BYU and, and UCLA late at night. you got USC and Stanford. You've got Michigan State and Notre Dame. All these gigantic things. And then, of course, the one game that before this season we said was going to be the biggest most electric most important non-conference matchup of the year Ohio State Oklahoma 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Fox your television network that maybe the shine has gone down on that game a little bit since we thought this was going to be two top 10 potentially two top five teams doing battle now the Oklahoma lost to Houston and, and they've fallen down a little bit are you less excited about this game how has your feelings towards this game changed once you once Oklahoma lost that 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 season opening game
1: I think that I've at least just for me I've gotten more excited with it and I think that maybe the The loss to Houston in week one for Oklahoma takes some of the national luster off of it, but I I still think that there are storylines galore here. If OU loses, they're out of the playoff again, and they still, I think, have a slate right after Ohio State of at TCU. Of course, they have to play Texas. They still have to play Baylor, depending on Baylor's depth at that point. So if they lose this game, they're probably going to finish with either three or four losses, and even though they made the playoff last year, it seems like the last three or four or five seasons they've been up and down and up and down and it's just that roller coaster that Bob Stoops is on at Oklahoma and from an Ohio State standpoint it's the team's coming in so young you know is the defense legit is the offense legit as well if they win they may be the second best team in the country behind Alabama depending on how they win if they do it so I I think that there's a ton of storylines something that I don't think anybody's brought up yet is unless I'm mistaken Urban Meyer still hasn't lost a true road game at Ohio State so if they go into Norman and beat Oklahoma that streak stays alive so even though Oklahoma did lose in week one against Houston it's still two blue blood programs and there's a ton on the line, and there's a lot of implications, not only for the playoff, but individual awards, and I think coaching wise, or at least fan base wise, for Oklahoma's perspective.
0: I think I might be a little bit more excited too, to, to be to be frank. Uh, this was not the game that I was extremely excited about before the season, and in part that was because I thought Ohio State was going to lose. Uh, I, I thought that there were there were some matchup problems here, and there there still are a couple of them, and we'll dig into that here in a little bit, but. you know, I kind of looked at this as playing with house money, right? Like Ohio State's going to go in on the road against the top five team, playoff contender. If they lose and they keep it close, it's fine. They're super young. They can still make the Rose Bowl, still potentially make the playoff. And now I, I believe the line as of the time we're recording has now swung in Ohio State's favor. I think they're the one and a half point favorite after opening as like a three point dog, which surprises me a little bit. And now given how both teams have looked over these first two weeks, I think a lot of Buckeye fans are expecting to win. So that's a little bit more Exciting, but and you're you're right. These these are two extremely blue blood programs. Uh, it's difficult to concoct a matchup that's going to be more historic than this, and it's going to be played on campus, which is which is a lot of fun. I think you're right about Urban Meyer. He lost the Orange Bowl. He lost at home and the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State. He lost at home to Virginia Tech. I think that's it. Which is yeah,
1: fifty and four. So that's they still haven't lost a true road game. That, is, that
0: is bananas. Since the the Michigan or
1: the yeah the Michigan game in two thousand eleven. And to your point about the spread changing, I thought that it would probably be likely this season that Ohio State, given how young they are and how much different the defense is, that they would probably lose at least two games and most likely three. But. In what I've watched of Oklahoma, and I got to watch some of the ULM game from last week, and what we've seen from Ohio State, granted, against Tulsa and Bowling Green, I feel much more confident about their chances than even, say— the way i did last week i definitely think that i feel that sentiment too among fans that you know there's always going to be fans that are that are confident that ohio state's going to beat everybody because more often than not their talent's better than everybody but that's just not how college football works but i think in the last week or two or so i've seen a lot from this team that gives me reason to believe that they have a good
0: shot at winning on saturday i what do you think is going to be the biggest mismatch I I was really concerned about Ohio State's secondary compared to Oklahoma's passing attack leading up to the year. I'm less concerned about that now. There's one that I'm still pretty worried about, but I'm wondering here what you think. Uh, Just position-wise, matchup-wise, what do you think is most concerning about here for Ohio State?
1: I think the most concerning thing is probably their ability to generate explosive plays through the air. I have faith that in time that these receivers are going to step up and be legitimate threats. And we saw in the Bowling Green game, guys like KJ Hill, Noah Brown and others make some pretty good plays down the field. And then last week was kind of the opposite of that. And I don't, have much faith either in Oklahoma's cornerbacks I I don't think that they're good enough to just completely shut them down but I also think that you know OU is probably going to stack the box and Urban Meyer brought that up in his press conference on Monday and so that's going to leave things open for these receivers and JT Barrett to hit on some of these deep plays and I don't necessarily have a ton of faith or trust I guess that they're going to be able to so I think that that's the most worrisome thing for me either that or the middle and interior of Mine is still a little bit of an unknown. I think they're playing well against the run. But with Samaje Pirine and Joe Mixon, it may
0: be a big day for OU on the ground. That is actually what, I'm, what I am most concerned about. That, that, that would be my number one, given—and we, we had a, a column go up on this on our, our website today, on Wednesday. So I, I definitely recommend you take a look at uh, at uh, reading that if you if you haven't. But the, of all of the recruiting depth that Ohio State has assembled throughout its roster, the one position group that's probably the weakest— in terms of just pure NFL caliber talent-wise, is defensive tackle. I am. Uh, I don't think that's going to be as much the case moving forward. There's two blue chip uh, defensive tackles in the 2017 class. There may yet be a third. The Buckeyes are heavily recruiting some bigger names in 2018. But you know, after missing on a couple of these Southern guys, these guys from from Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas to SEC and ACC programs. And historically, the Midwest does not produce these big defensive tackles as, as well as, as some of the, the South or Texas does. You're plugging in some guys that are not ESPN top 300 people, some some so kind of three-star reclamation, reclamation projects. Your your uh, your Robert Landers types. And that doesn't mean that they can't be effective high-level college football players. There's a lot of those guys on Oklahoma too. But if you're looking at Oklahoma with two very, very good running backs, Oklahoma's entire offense really kind of fell apart a little bit when they were physically outclassed and unable to control the line of scrimmage and run the football very well against Houston. Houston's rolling, you know, rotating in a five-star dude in Ed Oliver. They're rotating in some really good defensive linemen. And uh, the you know, the Buckeyes I think passed their first. First two defensive tests really well, but that's the interior of that defensive line is, is really going to be the key point here, whether they're going to be able to bottle up an, uh, Oklahoma's running game, whether they're going to be able to provide enough room for Ohio State's defensive ends and their pass rush to be able to cause some havoc. That's something that hasn't really happened as well these first two games. I think Ohio State's secondary is really up to the task, but not if they have to, to cheat up a little bit because the Sooners are getting six yards a carry.
1: Well, and to just stick on the point of Oklahoma's run game, not just the Houston game that they uh, that they struggled 26 carries for 70 yards, but you look back at last year as well, the Clemson game in the playoff, 33 carries, 67 yards. Texas last year, that game that they inexplicably lost, 37 carries, 67 yards. And then a game that they probably should have lost earlier last year, Tennessee, 48 carries, 161 yards. So against this Oklahoma team, I, I think the key is to stop the run. And, and those results from last year were all – when Sterling Shepard was still playing wide receiver there. And if you stop the run, I don't think Oklahoma's receivers, at least at the moment, are good enough to beat this secondary. And there isn't a guy like Sterling Shepard that Baker Mayfield can count on down in and down out. There's Mark Andrews, the the kind of hybrid tight end wide receiver man beast who catches a touchdown every time they, they throw the ball to him. But on just a per play basis, I don't think Oklahoma has an efficiency weapon. So like you're saying, the key is to stop the run. But, you know, I'm I'm starting to get very optimistic about what the defensive line brings as a whole because you look at the Tulsa game and Greg McElroy brought this up on the broadcast is that Ohio State goes 10 deep and he wasn't joking in the first half 10 players either saw a snap or significant action and you brought up Robert Landers I went back and watched the defense Robert Landers was making plays all over the field he had two tackles for loss he has three on the season and you know he was to your point, a lower recruited guy, but he's starting to really show out and and Michael Hill's doing a good job of eating up blocks, but just in terms of a, from a disruption standpoint, Robert Landers is a guy to keep an eye on Here as the the next couple of games go by to see how he does if he has another game where he has like one and a half tackles for loss. I feel pretty confident in in believing that he's the real deal their defensive tackle. So I I have faith that the run defense should be fine. I, I still don't think they've given up a run over 20 yards. This season, they've done a pretty good job against a team in Tulsa that explosively runs the ball. So I think it's going to be an excellent test with what OU has at running
0: back, and we'll see exactly how deep this defensive line is. I, I completely agree. The, the other thing here, and I've got a column going up about this, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to go up before this podcast does, so just in case, be sure to read it. I think the other key thing and this is something that obviously every defense wants to do but maybe especially poignant for for Oklahoma's offense uh, and that's to find ways to get their offense off schedule and put Baker Mayfield in obvious passing down situations. And that ties into you know, going into to slowing down the run and owning that interior of the defensive line. You know, I'm looking at at Baker Mayfield splits and this is part of a function of the uh, the scheme that Lincoln Riley set up here for Oklahoma and, and their personnel but, but Mayfield is, is a really efficient quarterback that makes good decisions. He's completing over 70% of his passes right now. He was a near 70% passer last season, and there's a really dramatic difference between what he's able to do in you know second and medium or third and short and what he's able to do in, in third and long or second and long. That that drops to a below 60% completion percentage, and he's more likely to take some sacks. Oklahoma also gave up a surprising number of sacks on first and ten. Uh, last season and I think even though their offensive line is pretty big I think if the Buckeyes get a little bit creative with some of these corner and safety blitzes you know, utilizing some of their their bigger athletes there in the secondary to just kind of beat some of their their tackles in pure speed situations that they can uh, force Oklahoma to then obviously run the football or, or or do things to avoid getting into those those longer situations. If I don't, I would agree. I don't think Oklahoma has the wideouts to to continuously make enough plays on third and seven, third and eight, third and nine to score enough points. And I don't worry too much about Ohio State getting enough points to win this game. That battle, I think, is going to decide how this ends up. Yeah, and just looking at some of the advanced statistics on what
1: OU does, they're below the national average in passing ISO PPP, which measures big plays. They are below average in passing down success rate, and then they're below the national average in giving up passing down or passing down sacks. And Ohio State still hasn't gotten a standard down sack yet this season, and Ohio State is right at the national average in passing down sack rate. So if they're able to get OU into second and eight, Eight, third and seven third and ten if they do a good job of stopping the run on standard downs sam hubbard jalen holmes tyquan lewis haven't exactly i think broken out in the way that we thought they would yet this season but if they're able to keep OU you those type of downs i think that this could be a big day for them and to your point it, it may be something where greg shiano decides to get a little more creative with with what the linebackers do especially with chris worley and uh and jerome baker out on the uh, on the ends at linebacker there, so I, I think that if Ohio State's able to do that, the defense should have a pretty good day because I think we both feel confident that the secondary should be able to hold it down if they're in those situations.
0: I it would not be surprised here if Ohio State on with the defensive line and with some of their schemes were especially conservative against Bowling Green and Tulsa. They're going to show some new things in this game because let's, let's be honest, like as as really as excellent and as uh, as Ohio State's defense has looked, especially in their ability to make dramatic plays, they could have just played average and still won both of those games, whereas Oklahoma has had to show a little bit more, uh, obviously, in in their dogfight here against Houston. That might benefit Ohio State a little bit. Uh, Gun to your head right now, who do you think wins this game?
1: If I had to pick... Two weeks ago, I would have said OU, but if I had to make a pick now, I think that Ohio State goes on the road and they win. I can't imagine a scenario where they run away with it, but the talent is still better. I think that, when we'll get into it, that Ohio State's offense can do enough things. But for me, it's the defense. And Baker Mayfield's an excellent quarterback. The two running backs are great. OU still hasn't shown that against a big-time opponent that they will consistently run the ball and stick to it against Houston for whatever reason. They decided that they were just going to put the game in Baker Mayfield's hands and let him throw to a bunch of inexperienced wideouts. I can't imagine that they'll do that again, but I think Ohio State's secondary is good enough, and if they're able to generate a little bit of a lead and get out in front, it kind of negates... What Samaje Ryan and Joe Mixon bring to the table, and I think that Ohio State ultimately wins this game, or you know, somewhere 24 to 17 or 24 to 20.
0: Before the season, I was pretty confident Oklahoma was going to win too. I figured it was going to be something like Sooners by 10. I picked Oklahoma in the SB Nation confidence pool, and I, I think I gave them a confidence rating of two. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and stick with that. Um, I think it'll be a very close game. And certainly, Ohio State can win. I feel better about their chances now than I did, certainly before the Houston game. I'm a little bit concerned about that about the interior of the defensive line. I'm maybe a little bit concerned about Ohio State's wideouts. But it's going to be very close. It should be very entertaining. I'm, it's unfortunate that's happening at the same time uh, as Michigan State and Notre Dame. I think that'd be a fun game to watch, too uh it's gonna be great and and really I I, it's I I still look at this as a way where even if Ohio State loses as long as they don't get boat raced I I I think they're going to be in a pretty good position here if if they they go on the road against a really good opponent they lose closely they're still in contention to win the Big Ten and I I can't say that you know other than Michigan certainly nobody else has looked strong looked at an elite enough level to make me think Ohio State can't beat that team yeah
1: I think that like you're saying, if they go out there and they lose 31 to 10 or 45 to 17, they just completely get their asses kicked. Then you kind of reevaluate things that kind of gives credence to some of the offensive struggles that we saw against Tulsa. And maybe the defense isn't quite as good as we thought it was after losing all of those guys, but performing well the first two weeks of the season. But you know, for me, it seems like I'm much more confident in what uh, the front seven can do than you are against Oklahoma. But for me, what I would be worried about is just kind of the, the offense. They, they have to start faster that just in even not even looking at the Bowling Green game, they threw a pick six. It, it was a bad throw by Barrett. It was a nice play by the Bowling Green defender, but they can't start off the way they did against Tulsa where, you know, the first, I think, as our own Christopher Jason wrote in his film review, which you should check out, I think seven of the first eight plays that they called were read option plays right up the middle. And Tulsa was more than content to just kind of stack the middle, clog up the lanes, And let Ohio State run up into the middle for three yards. And if you're going to do that against Tulsa's defense, what's OU going to do to you? So I think that it has to be a little more varied. Curtis Samuel definitely, I think, needs to be more involved straight from uh, from the beginning. I'm not sure that there's anybody on that OU defense that matches up well with him. But if there's one area of weakness that I think OU can exploit or just unknown. Obonia Okoronkwo, uh, their outside linebacker slash defensive end, he's proven to be a pretty good pass rusher in limited time. Isaiah Prince and Jamarco Jones – each had their own struggles against Tulsa in, uh, in the pass rush and in run blocking last week. So I think that OU is going to probably be pretty creative with him and try to get him to JT Barrett. And those guys really need to step up or get some help from either Marcus Baugh or a guy like Mike Weber with with a chip block or something like that to just kind of limit what he's able to do from a pass rushing standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's that that's a that's another good point. Haven't really thought about that. Uh, I feel like we've covered the big storylines here for this particular game. Is there anything else right now that you're kind of burning on? What about this CU Michigan thing? This has <laughs> been pretty entertaining. <laughs> I figured you had you had some some CU takes. I have to admit, uh, normally I have really negative things to say about university sports. information. Directors, Colorado gets a gold star because his fake depth chart that he made for Michigan was gold.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and shout out to uh, to Dave Platy, the sports information director at Colorado. He actually, a couple of years ago, he hooked me up when I was still a student in Denver with the first interview from Mike McIntyre after uh, Colorado signing day a couple of years ago. So really good dude. Shout out to Dave Platy. That was hilarious and a great take on kind of the closed doors of what Michigan does. Who is your favorite either position group or player that they uh they listed?
0: I mean, I'm a little bit concerned that Fat Albert can't crack the starting rotation along the offensive line. But I think uh, Abe Vagoda <laughs> Was <laughs> down the two deep
1: <laughs> was pretty great. I enjoyed so Cartman. Good, I, think I think it was he at left, left tackle. Or yeah, right he's tackle. starting at left tackle ahead of Fat Albert. See, I think the difference with Cartman and Fat Albert, Fat Albert's, you know, he's more a bit easygoing. He's a little laid back. Cartman, you know, he fed Scott Tenerman's parents to him. He'll he'll go out there and, <laughs> and, and he's aggressive. He'll he'll get after it. So I think that's probably why he got the start. But that was hilarious. The game itself, I, I don't think'll be very good if C U can keep it within twenty. 25 points, I would be ecstatic. I saw that there were some Michigan bloggers who were really super duper mad online that Colorado tweeted out that they're going to wear the same uniform combination as they did during the Hail Mary game in 1994. <laughs> and of course, of course, like, see, you went there in 1997, and a bunch of Michigan fans were like, well, you wore it in 97 too, so, you know, it's just classic Michigan fans bringing up something from 1997. So n- nothing's really changed, but it definitely has amped up my hate quite a bit to see my second favorite team playing Michigan so I, I'm pretty stoked for that game even if CU's going to get worked
0: I uh, I hope that it turns out better for you than it did last year when BYU went to Michigan and got absolutely curb stomped um but the, what's the line on that right now it's dropped a little bit it's like what 22
1: yeah, I think the last time I saw it, it was 22 and a half. So if they're able to cover, I, I think that that would be somewhat of a miracle. And like I tweeted out yesterday, if Michigan fans are mad that CU's going to wear the same uniform combination they did when they beat him in 1994, they're really going to be upset when Toledo comes to town next
0: time and decides to go with the white on blues. I, 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 I dig it. I dig it. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I I, I. I don't think I'm gonna watch a whole lot of that game. But I think. It, I. I think they're gonna cover. Yeah, I would imagine so.
1: And like you. You mentioned the BYU thing. Luckily, I get the reverse of that too, and I also get to see Ohio State play Nebraska this year and i'm waiting for that podcast because i'll be amped up i'll be bringing it for that one because you know
0: we hate michigan around here but nebraska they're right there i i'm looking forward to dispensing some really angry anti-northwestern takes uh later this later this year the longer i'm in this profession the despite my deep family ties to that town uh i'm starting to hate them a little bit more
1: I think Pat. I think Pat Fitzgerald's had about enough this season. You know, when you lose to Illinois State and their fat kicker just nailing one off the upright and in at home against Chicago's one true team. You know, how much heartbreak can Northwestern take this year?
0: Literally, literally an insurmountable, like an in, inescapable amount of of heartbreak.
1: Are, are there any other Big Ten takes you have from the first? two weeks of the season does the conference look
0: better uh, than, you than you thought, thought just the same, same worse i think they're fine you know maryland and indiana i think have looked a little bit better than i thought they were going to uh, i actually before the season i thought maryland was going to lose to florida international and, the, and they worked them pretty good looks like they're they're taking a little bit better care of the football the uh, rutgers has looked awful which you know i i think we we, we thought was coming um I know. I, I, th- I think it's fine. They, they picked up one big unexpected win with with with, with, with uh, Wisconsin. Northwestern has looked much worse on the balance. I, I think they're okay. But this this week should be particularly instructive. I think
1: yeah and i think
0: if if iowa does
1: lose to north dakota state that would probably the SEC's kind of taking it on the chin but if iowa loses this week and ohio state loses and yeah oregon comes into nebraska and beats them it could be a pretty rough week for the big 10 we didn't even mention purdue who let's not do that Let's not they're,
0: talk
1: they're, about <laughs> well, and I, I think that the double whammy for them is if Danny Etling actually turns out to be a good quarterback for LSU, which there's no way in hell that happens, by the way. I think LSU is is pretty much at this point screwed at quarterback. But if that were to happen and then uh, who's an Austin Appleby if like Luke Del Rio gets hurt and Austin Appleby and Danny Etling each earned, like, all SEC honors, which, given the quarterback play in that conference, wouldn't be impossible. That would just kind of expand
0: on how poorly or how bad of a season Purdue's had. I mean, like, Danny Etling was a four-star quarterback. It's not like he sucked. He just came in and was not developed at all. He was a top 300 recruit. He could have gone to play at places much better than Purdue. But, I mean... That's just such a dead horse. Like uh, I will talk about Purdue again once their coach gets fired, and we could, you know, we could talk a little bit more about the uh, the potential or, or where that program goes from here. But it's kind of it's a, it's a dead horse. It, 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 this is a uh, kind of a, a make or break. I don't want to say make or break, but there are a lot of games this week for the conference that could go either way. Penn State and Temple, Rutgers, New Mexico, Duke, Northwestern, Maryland, UCF. Like we're gonna have a much better idea about who a lot of these teams are after this weekend.
1: Yeah, Penn State not only playing Temple, but in, uh, I think I've been on record on this podcast kind of ripping James Franklin, but he's in a particularly awful spot this week, and I think they're still doing the Joe Paterno thing, yeah. and they were asking about it, and he was like, well, that's that's not really something we can control. He's handling that, I think, probably the best way that he can, but things look to be a pretty big mess over there not only with that but after losing to Pitt last weekend in the way that they did it's uh it's getting ugly over there although I do kind of I do like McSorley much
0: more than I did last week he had a secretly decent game against Pitt oh that was a that was a great football game Barkley is amazing Penn State's secondary uh, could be sneaky good. McSorley, McSorley did look pretty good. Their, their defense is obviously not what it was last year. I mean, I don't know. I think I think they'll be fine. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what ends up what ends up happening here. You got you got anything else you want to burn on? You have any other funny stories you want to share or something else before we uh, we let these good people go? I went a full Ohio State game last week without
1: throwing up, so that was a positive. But uh, other other than that, I think. Uh, I'm good to go, ready to watch some college football this weekend, ready to watch Ohio State, see how they look against Oklahoma, and come up with some just vast generalizations
0: about this team after that game, win or lose. It's it's going to be great. We're even going to have a little bit more clarity, I think, for the national picture once we see what happens with Florida State, uh, Louisville, and Alabama, Ole Miss. Because really, outside of Ole Miss, I don't know if anybody on this schedule is going to be able to even give Alabama kind of a game it it looks like a much less intimidating schedule than it did two weeks ago so we'll leave you with that my friends and uh, you can follow the website on Facebook you can follow us on Twitter you can find this uh, podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes and on our websites Uh, share it with your friends give us feedback constructive you know positive negative it's okay Uh, I write on the internet for a living and so if you want to say mean things to me I can take it that's, uh, that's part of the gig. Uh, he- heaven knows that I've shared enough stories about me getting dunked on already. If you want to dunk on me too, that'll be okay. Uh, with that, I am Matt Brown. That's Colton Denning. Thank you for listening to The Hangout in the Holy Land. We've got some more Oklahoma content coming with you here at the end of the week. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.